turn to 2 Peter. Uh, we are at the end of chapter 3, and going into the week, my desire was to finish. By the end of the week, I realized there's a lot left to cover, and we're not going to do that. So uh, I wouldn't say turn to your 2 Peter for the last time, because we're going to turn to it next week together. But uh, we are going to jump into this last section, verses 14 to 18, and I, I do hope that it will be an encouragement to you. It'll be um, uh, encouraging to you to, to know how to live, the godly, live a life of godliness while we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And um, uh, let me just read it to you. I'm going to pray, and then, then we'll jump into what God's word has for us this morning. This is what it says, therefore, or 2 Peter 3, 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen. Heavenly Father, we need your help. Uh, Peter's right. There are things that are hard to understand in the Bible. And we need the Holy Spirit to teach us and to train us and to be our guide and our tutor. And so we depend on your spirit this morning. Lord, take these truths, embed them deep into our hearts, that our lives may be transformed to become more like your son, Jesus Christ because of the things that we have learned and obeyed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a survey that came out uh, in 2022. Uh, It is a survey on (laughs) the state of waiting in line. This is what we pay people to do these days, to take surveys about the state of waiting in line. Waiting in line has been called, and I quote, a timeless form of torture. In the U.S. alone, Americans spend roughly 37 billion hours each year waiting in line. And the problem, as the article says with that, with those wait times, it has gotten worse. For the last two years, we've been living through a pandemic that has disentangled virtually every aspect of our lives. Restarting life as we know it has proven more challenging than expected, and the result is that consumers have become more accustomed to longer waits everywhere. Then Microsoft jumps in with their own study in 2015 that says that the average human attention span is clocked at eight seconds, a full second shorter than that of goldfish. What are we doing? (laughs) I just think of Dory when I read that. Technology is teaching us to expect instant gratification But the physical world rarely works that way. And then it says this. Waiting most commonly elicits feelings of apathy 
boredom, annoyance, or frustration. Only 3% in this study actually got excited about waiting in line. I, I don't know who those three are. I mean, that's just weird. How was your trip to the bank today? It was great. Why? I waited four hours. I loved it. It was just wonderful. But the finding is telling. Waiting most commonly elicits feeling of apathy, boredom, annoyance, or frustration. And I was thinking about that in light of what Peter is asking us to do and calling us to do, which is to wait, but to wait expectantly, is how many Christians view waiting for the second coming of Christ as those who are apathetic, bored, annoyed, or frustrated. Sure, we're Christians who believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, but how many Christians in that belief of Jesus Christ coming back are sleepy in their evangelism, lazy in their prayer, apathetic in their Bible study, and just absent at church? Because I believe the same things can happen while we're waiting for Christ to return, is that we can just become apathetic to this reality. And this is exactly what Peter is confronting in the last chapter of this letter. He's confronting those who, who could be sliding into apathy and laziness in the Christian life because they've listened to the false teachers who've questioned, is Jesus really coming back? So Christians can have the same feelings the world has when it comes to waiting. Peter's concerned that what was said in chapter 3 and in verse 4 when the false teacher said, where is the promise of his coming? Is he actually going to come back? Is he really going to come back? Peter's concerned that the Christians would listen to that and they listen to these false teachers and they would cause them to slip into Christianity that has no expectation, a Christianity that has no action, and eventually, as it says at the end of verse 17 of what we just read, they would fall into apostasy. But Peter does remind us this, that Jesus is going to come back. He says it in verse, in verse uh, 5, 6, and 7. He talks about the judgment that is going to come upon the world, especially in verse 7. His, his tone now gets very serious when he, when he ends the rest of his chapter and he talks about the second coming of Christ because with the second coming of Christ is this great comfort for the believer, but it's also a great concern for the unbeliever because why? In verse 7, he says, as the, the, by the same word, the, the heavens and the earth are, uh, that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction upon the ungodly he's saying this that when the lord comes back it is going to be a time of judgment for those who do not believe for those who have not placed their faith in jesus christ but then he goes on he says but but verse 8 don't overlook this one fact beloved with the lord is uh, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he's saying this, we know that Christ is coming back. It's going to be a day of judgment, but Christ is also very, very, very patient. 
He wants to see all. We talk about this desire of God that all should reach repentance. But he balances out that patience that he has with, with his understanding of verse 10, which is this, is that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief because God is patient. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that we can't be ready for it. In fact, the opposite is true. We must be ready at all times because a thief doesn't come announced. A thief comes unannounced and Christ is going to come unannounced and he, and he wants his readers to be ready for that moment. He goes on, he says, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. This is what's going to happen when, when Christ returns, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the overarching question that we answered last week was this, and what I believe Peter wanted us to get to was this question. Are you ready for Christ's return? Are you ready for that day? Is that day in your life going to be a day of comfort or is that going to be a day of great concern for you? We answered that question. You had to answer that question. The question of readiness. And then Peter, as he descends the plane now, down on his letter here in verse 11, he starts to turn a corner and he starts pointing to the believer and he says, okay, how are you to live then? You're ready for that day, now how do you live? In fact, he says, what, what sort of people, verse 11, what sort of people ought to you, you to be in the lives of, of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening for the day of the Lord, because of, of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, in verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where Christ is on his throne and everything is right, and there is a righteous judge reigning on the new heavens and the new earth, and then in verse 14, he's still talking to the believer, he says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things. Now he, was, now he is going to answer this question for us. How shall we live our lives while we wait for the second coming? That's the logic behind this section. That's the argument behind it. There is a way by which the Christian is to behave. There's a way by which the Christian is to act while we wait for Jesus to return. We don't get to figure it out on our own. We look to Scripture to figure that out. And so he gives to us then, and I'll give to you guys, four practices for the believer while we wait for Christ. Four practices for the believer while we wait for Christ, so that we don't become apathetic, lazy, or bored. Number one is this. While you wait for Christ, be diligent to pursue godliness. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, what's the next word? Next verb. Be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and, out, and at peace. Peter says this, therefore, beloved, he takes on the heart of a pastor. 
the heart of a shepherd. In fact, he, he uses this word again in verse 17, you therefore beloved. He, he's already used this word uh, at the beginning of this chapter, even talking about again, the beloved there in verse one, I'm writing to you a second letter, beloved. It, it's, a, it's a term of endearment a pastoral term to to address those he loves. Since you are looking, since you are waiting for these things, here's the first call to action. Be diligent. Maybe your Bible says, make every effort. This is is the same word that he's already used uh, in in chapter 1, in verse 10 and in verse 15. It's the same word there, to, to be diligent. Confirm your calling and election. The command here stresses, listen to this, our personal duty and our responsibility. Our personal duty and and responsibility to live out the Christian life, to carry out the the commands and, and, and what God has for us. And we're to do it without delay and we're to do it without excuse. This word here, to be diligent, it, it, it has the idea of exerting zealous persistence. Make every effort that you can every day while you wait for Jesus to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Now we got to understand this because uh, this is super helpful to those who think the Christian life is simply, I just need to let go and let God. Just let go and let's just let God, as if we have to let God do anything, right? We don't have to let God do anything. He's going to do whatever he wants. That's not exa- that is not at all what he's saying here. In fact, he's saying the exa- exact opposite here. We have a personal responsibility to obey Jesus Christ. In fact, we're to be zealous in it, persistent in it. This verb here is in the, is in the active voice. It's an aorist imperative, a command that you present yourself ready to be found by God. The Apostle Paul uses the same word in 2 Timothy 2.15, where he says, present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling, handling accurately the word of truth. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11, he uses the same word there as it says this, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end that you may, here he goes, here's why you need to be diligent. This is what he says. Realize the full assurance of the hope until the end that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now we need to understand this, uh, uh, this word for be diligent. It's the same one in, 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 in chapter one, in verse 10, that Peter is not talking about earning or gaining your salvation. This isn't about salvation. This is about sanctification. This is about how to live your life. This is about what God wants from you. This is about taking on responsibility, which means this, that we don't get 
as we understand and believe the doctrine of the second coming, we don't get to lay around in our pajamas in our favorite chair watching TV until Jesus Christ returns. Okay, there's no diligence in that. We don't get to, church, spiritually retire and just say, hey, I've done, I've done all I've needed to do. I'm good to go. I've got the fire insurance. Now I get to retire spiritually and get to live that life I've always wanted to live, even though I'm still in Christ. No, that's not at all the way to live the Christian life as you are waiting for the second coming of Christ. Peter wants to be very sure of that. You must be diligent. You have a responsibility. And there's three ways here that Peter gives us right here in this verse by which we can be diligent. The first one is this. We must be diligent in purity. Diligent in purity. Look what it says. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. This has to do, those, those two words there, without spot or without blemish, give us the idea of being a man and a woman of solid integrity and character. Have spotless character, have a blameless reputation. We're not going to attain that of being perfect. We're not going to attain that of being those without, without spot in our, in our lives where we have sinned, we've sinned in the past, we've already, we've already are unable to do that. But what he's talking about here is being those of good character, solid integrity. In fact, we understand that because look what it says. It says, be diligent to what? To be found by him. Meaning this, when Christ return, all will be found by him. And no one will be able to hide their sin in that time. They may look good on the outside. It may look like they've, they've walked the Christian life, lived the Christian life, but on the inside, they're not men and they're not women of integrity. And when Jesus Christ returned, he says, you need to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. When Christ comes back, look at the end of verse 10. He's already talked about it. He says what? The earth and the works that are done on it, what? Will be exposed. Write this verse down, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. God will judge the motives of the heart. In 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, it says that everything done, whether, whether good or bad, will, will come to light. And so Peter wants us to understand that. Our, our pursuit is that, that we have a pursuit of holiness of which we will not attain until glory. But in that pursuit, we remain those who are men and women of integrity. Yeah, we're going to sin. We're going to sin. We're going to have moments where we're battling sin throughout the day or throughout the week, and we're going to, we're going to fail in those ways, and we're, we're not going to attain this, this, uh, this understanding of where we have no spot, no spot we, have, we have no blemish, but our lives are filled with in integrity and character. Who we are on the outside is what we are on the inside. 
I want you to look at a couple of verses with me. Turn over to Proverbs. Proverbs are so good. If you don't read the Proverbs, I want to encourage you to, to do so. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9. This is one of those ones that you want to you underline in your Bible. It says this, Proverbs 10, 9, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Flip over one page or two pages, or maybe it's on the same page in chapter 11, in verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. And then one more in Proverbs 28, in verse 6. This is important, guys. Proverbs 28 and verse 6, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. The elevation of integrity in Scripture. It was all over the life of Job. Being a man and a woman who when found by God is exactly who we thought they were. <laughs> what they showed us on the outside was what they were on the inside. Filled with character. Filled with integrity. Let me ask you this question, church. How are you doing with, this, with character? How are you doing with integrity? I know we, we can all do better. My question is, are, are, you, are, you, are you trying to do better then? Are you working towards that? The evidence of a godly character and a godly life is the fruit of the Spirit. Living with honesty and faithfulness, reliability, morality, self-control. And it becomes our joy to live lives of integrity as we diligently pursue holiness. Albert Barnes says this, he says, A deep feeling that we are soon to stand in the presence of a holy God, our final judge, cannot but have a happy influence in making us pure. That's a radically different way to think about the second coming of Jesus Christ because oftentimes we think of that as, oh no, oh no. And think of it this way. To stand in the presence of a holy God, our final judge, it cannot but have a happy influence in how you live your life. A joyful influence on pursuing holiness. Secondly is this. Be diligent in peace. In peace. It doesn't mean this, that we're at peace with God in the sense of our justification as Romans 5.1 talks about peace with God through Jesus Christ as when we are justified. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about being at peace 
with other men. This is what it's talking about when he's talking about that, that we are to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. It means this, is that Peter wants the believer to have so much confidence in God that their lives are lived without fear and anxiety. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding while you wait for Jesus Christ. You're not at fear of what's going to happen next in America. You're not at fear of what's going to happen around the globe as the nations are uniting together. There's no fear in what's going to happen next. You have a peace because you are at peace with God and there's no fear in your life. You're not sitting around watching Fox News and CNN going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? Who's going to be the next president? If it's not the right one, I don't know what's going to happen. I might need to move and go hide somewhere else. I just can't live like this with the stress of not knowing who the next government, person in government is going to lead our nation. And, and this next year is so important. Yes, it is important. But listen, we don't live in fear of it. We're at peace. Why? Christ is going to return. And this whole place is going to melt. This whole place is going to burn. And I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm at peace with that. But I've got to be diligent in that. Because Satan wants to keep creeping in and going, hey, hey, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Anxiety comes in, thoughts come in, and I've got to be diligent to maintain that peace to live without fear, to live without anxiety. That when I lay my head on the pillow, to think about Christ returning, and guess what, church? Everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Not because of me, or because I just said that, because of what I believe the Bible teaches. Christ is going to come back. At the end of verse 11, it says he's going to reign with righteousness, where righteousness dwells. Number three is this. Be diligent in proclamation. We're diligent in purity, diligent at peace, and we're diligent in proclamation. Look what it says. It says, verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. What is he talking about? He goes back to the theme that he had already mentioned in verse uh, 8, 9, uh, eight and nine about the patience of God. He's saying, hey, the Lord's going to be patient through this. The Lord is awaiting salvation of those who do not know Christ. He's awaiting the salvations of those whom he has called and, and to those he has predestined. He is, he is waiting for that. He is patient in all that. But that doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. In fact, because God is patient, there should be more of an urgency for us to proclaim the gospel, right? Like we know God is patient. I've got today. I need to make the most of today. When tomorrow comes, we say the same thing. I've got today. I need to proclaim today. God has been patient a whole nother day wanting more people to come to repentance. And I have a responsibility in this day to proclaim the gospel that's been given, given to me. Think about it this way, church. If you weren't left here to proclaim the gospel, then God would have taken you when he saved you. He would have just been like, you're saved. 
You have no more purpose on earth. Here we go. Up into heaven. That's it. But he's left you here for this primary purpose to be the avenue by which, in the patience of God, you get to proclaim the gospel. Man, that is awesome. What a responsibility. He gave it to you in the patience of, that he has to you to proclaim the gospel? Not to sit around and just wait. Not to sit around and have no purpose. But to be diligent in these things. To make every effort in these things. To be the ones, the avenue by which the gospel is sent forth He has you here, Christian. Otherwise, he would have taken you. It's your primary purpose here as we give glory to God in all things to be those who proclaim the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, it says this in verse 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. That's a beautiful thing. What a beautiful opportunity you have. In Matthew 9, 36 to 38, it says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said this to the disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Send out workers into the harvest. Why? Because the harvest is so plentiful. It's so ripe. It's so ready for gospel proclamation. And while we sit in this time when God is being patient, patiently awaiting, we count it a joy and a privilege and diligence to proclaim the gospel. The Apostle Paul says we're ambassadors for Christ. (laughs) We're the ambassadors, right? There's ambassadors for America all over the nation. There is one ambassador that is sent to heaven. That was through Jesus Christ. When he left, guess who was the ambassadors here on earth for Christ? I'm looking at a church full of them. Us. We're the ambassadors. I love that word as we think about that in light of this, and the patience of God that we would proclaim. All right, going back to our outline, what do we do while we wait? Secondly is this. While you wait for Christ, be discerning, so as not to be deceived. Be discerning so as not to be deceived. Look what it says at the end of, of, uh, or or the second part of verse 15. It says this, just as our beloved brother, Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks to them in these matters, these are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist, twist to their own destruction As they do the other scriptures, you therefore, knowing this beforehand, take care, what? That you're not carried away by the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. What he's saying, he's saying, church, be discerning during these times. You gotta be discerning. 
He starts out by validating Paul and what he wrote and the scriptures that he wrote. He says, just as our beloved Paul wrote to you according to wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. He's validating that the writing of Paul is scripture. And then he's also validating this, that some of the things that Paul wrote were pretty hard to understand. Kind of like Romans chapter 9, which we're reading right now. Are there some hard things in there to understand? There's some hard truths that, that we're trying to even, even wrap our minds around. The, uh, the mystery of suffering, the, the mystery of salvation. We're trying to, to wrap our minds around these things on Sunday morning and, and, and bring understanding to them. But he says this, which the ignorant and unstable, they twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. What's he talking about here? What's Peter wanting us to have our, our spiritual senses up against? The ignorant and the unstable. Some of your Bibles may say the untaught. It means this, be, be careful of those who are unlearned, uneducated. This, this word has the idea of this, not so much to the lack of knowledge as to the lack of training. It talks about those who have a mind that's untrained and undisciplined in habits of thought. He's talking about those who are ignorant of the fundamental principles of hermeneutics. Individuals who have little appreciation for any sort of inductive approach to study the Bible and especially disregard the importance of context in accurate interpretation. That's the untaught, untrained who stand up and say, hey, I got a word. I'm going to tell you a word, man. Come straight from God. And what they do, because there is lack of training, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, they twist the scripture to make it mean what they want it to mean. And they actually twist the scripture to fit their lifestyle, how they want to live their life. In fact, that's most of chapter two that, that we talked about with false prophets is that they twist the scripture so that they can live how they want to live. He's saying, be careful of these people. When it comes to the hard things to understand them, they just punt. They just skip over them. And they just go straight to the ones that are going to fulfill their desires and their, their, their greed and the way they want to live their lives. And they twist it. But it, it says this very clearly. They twist it to what? Their own destruction. In fact, look at chapter 2 and, and verse 1. It says that there will be, at the end of chapter 2, it says there will be secretly those who bring in destructive heresies, even denying what? The master who bought them, bringing what? Bringing upon themselves what? Swift destruction. That's the ignorant. What are the unstable? The unstable are those who live out the fact that they have not the knowledge, they have not the understanding and so they lack spiritual stability. They lack conviction. They get tossed to and fro, as James says, back and forth 
going back and forth to whatever fits their own personal morality, not stable in any way without any sort of conviction. And because of that, what do they do? They twist or distort the truth. It has the idea of, of twisting strings on a guitar. I look at this, this thing. I don't even know what that is, but that's a cool-looking instrument. I mean, John, well done on that thing. It's like they just come up and they just start twisting the strings on it, distorting it, the purity of Scripture. There's a reason why our church values so much the, the fact that our own J, uh, Jonah and Shea are, are in seminary right now. We value that. We want them trained. We want them learned. We want them to have understanding. We want them to have the right approach to Scripture so that what? They'll have stability in their teaching. So he says in verse 17, you therefore, beloved, one last time, beloved, shepherding them and caring for them, what does he want them to do? Take care of what? that you are not carried away by the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care, church. Be on guard, church. Be careful, church. There are people out there who want to twist Scripture for their own greed, which will end up in their own destruction and the destruction of anybody who follows them. And you have to be on guard. You have to be discerning. Because listen, the closer we get to the end of time when Christ returns, more and more false teachers will arise to push back against anybody who believes. And there will be even more of an uprising of false teachers who will try to be used by Satan to pull away believers and we must be, be discerning in these times. And to be diligent in that. So every time you listen to a podcast, Every time you listen to a sermon, every time you read an article that you just Googled on Google to find something, right? Every time you do that, every time you're in school, students, when you're in school being taught, every time you're in Bible study, you need to be on guard to the truth. Because we can't think this, that I can go listen to any sermon I want, I can go read any book I want, I can go listen to any podcast I want and not be swayed. We have to be discerning. The danger is real. Apostasy is real. Abandonment of the gospel is real. And Peter, as a good shepherd, comes down to the end of what he would write for us to know. Take care, church. Don't be carried away by the air of lawless people. I don't want you to lose your stability here. Stay grounded in your faith. There's two more that I want to get to, but I'm going to save them for next week. The next one is the antidote to this, and the antidote to this is verse 18. How do we fix that? We grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We continue to develop in our, in our grace and knowledge, and then at the end of all of it, we give glory to God, and so we practice our doxology, and we're going to look at those next week by the grace of God let's pray our heavenly father what a what a challenge to our hearts this morning what a great reminder of 
the reality that you're coming back. Lord, I, I do hope that that brings us comfort. Lord, help us to not live in fear. Help us to be at peace with you. Lord, I, I do want to pray for anybody who's, who's sitting here this morning that there's a wrestling in their heart right now because they're not at peace with you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you draw them to yourself. Today would be the day where they would find the courage to, to confess and believe, to repent of sin. And Lord, I pray for the, the believer who's been struggling even this week with, with purity, struggling this week with anxiety, struggling this week with anger, Lord, I pray that this would even be a comfort to them. That you want us to be right with you and you ask of us to, to be diligent in these ways to come to you and to run to you for hope and that you're a God of salvation. And you're God who wants a relationship with us. And so I pray, Lord, that we're encouraged by these words. You're coming back can't wait for that to be with the people that i love for all eternity what greater motivation is there on this earth to live lives of holiness and to proclaim the gospel the good news of jesus christ help us in all of these things lord i do pray too that we would be a church of great discernment to know right from wrong, truth from error, and that we would have the courage to pursue truth and to forsake error. And of all of this, Lord, we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.